Father, we thank you for your great love for us that sent your son to become a man and to walk this earth and to live a human life in our place. We thank you that as our great high priest who has literally walked in our shoes, um, he knows the temptations that we are afflicted with. He knows the weaknesses that, that we face every day. And yet he obeyed you perfectly in our stead. And he went to the cross where he took all of our sin upon himself and he, he paid the sin debt that we owed to you. He paid it in full and he proved that he paid it in full by rising from the dead. We thank you that he is a merciful high priest. He knows us, Lord, and he, he intercedes on our behalf because he paid the penalty for our sins. Lord, we, we look at his life and we see how far our lives, our lives fall short, and yet we, we thank you that we can hide ourselves in him, that, that he has clothed us with his own righteousness and made us acceptable to you despite all of our, our sins and our shortcomings. We thank you that you have accepted us fully in your son and adopted us as your sons and daughters, Lord. We Help us to bear that in mind as we come to your word and as we're challenged and as we're called to a life of holiness in how we interact with one another. As we see ourselves fall short, help us, Lord, to know that, that we have a Savior, an advocate who has paid the penalty and that he has placed in us his Holy Spirit who will enable us to follow him more closely uh, every day. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, which is where we'll be this morning. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. In that passage, Paul says this. He says, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We've been considering the family last week, and we continue to consider the family this week. And the family is the building block of society. And God is the one who created the family. And as the creator of the family, he has intended for the family to be patterned after a very specific design that he set in place. And when the family tries to conduct itself in a way that is contrary to God's design, the family fractures and it becomes dysfunctional. And when enough families fracture and break down, society itself comes apart at the seams. And without Christ, that's just what happens. Our, our lives fall apart, our families fall apart, and society falls apart. But when we surrender our lives to Christ and we come to know his grace and experience his grace that begins to transform our lives, and when we take the time to dig into his word and discover what his will for the family is, and when we seek his help to obey what he instructs us in his word, 
we find that this Jesus enables us to begin functioning within the family in the way he commands us to function. And it is only when we have come to him for salvation and it is only when we are daily coming to him for sanctification that the family can begin to be healed and to become a place where Christ is exalted and can become a means through which the church is strengthened. Last week we looked at God's design for wives and for husbands. We saw that in chapter 5, 22 to 33. And this week we are going to look at God's design for children and parents. But before we begin to look at these four verses in chapter 6, let me just remind you of what the context of this passage is. We saw in chapter 5 and verse 18 where Paul commands all believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is to surrender to his leading in their lives, to live in obedience to his will as is revealed in the Holy Scriptures. And then we saw in verses 19 to 21 various ways in which being filled with the Holy Spirit will manifest itself in how we live as believers. In verse 19, we saw one effect, which was speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which is what we've been doing this morning as we've sung together. And then in that same verse, we see that being filled with the Holy Spirit results in singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord. You live a life of worship to God. And in verse 20, we see how being filled with the Spirit leads to always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And then lastly, verse 21, being filled with the Spirit will result in each one of us being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then in chapter 5, verses 22, all the way through chapter 6 and verse 9, Paul is showing these believers what that last fruit of being filled with the Spirit looks like as we relate to one another within the family. Paul is describing this for them so that they know how to function. And we saw last week that for wives, this being subject to one another, when it comes to the, how they relate to their husbands, it involves them bringing themselves under the authority of their husbands. For husbands, it looks like them loving their wives as Christ loved the church. And now in chapter 6, in the first three verses, Paul is going to address children within the church, children who have turned from their sins and trusted in Christ for salvation. He's going to instruct them about how being filled with the Spirit is going to look like in their lives as they live under the roof of their parents. So let's look at verses 1 through 3. Let me read verse 1 again of chapter 6. Paul says, speaking to children, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. In verse 1, Paul gives children a command and he gives the reason for the command. Now, the specific Greek word here for children, it doesn't indicate a specific age. It simply means offspring. So it could be a very young child, 
in the home, or it could be a young adult still living in his parents' household. There's no age-specific nuance to this word. But Paul does seem to have in mind children who are still occupying their parents' home because the relationships that he's addressing in this big section, chapter 5, verse 22, through chapter 6, verse 9, appear to be relationships which would make up a first-century Greco-Roman household. You have wives and husbands, parents and children, slaves and their masters. That would be within the household in, in those days. That is who Paul is addressing. And Paul commands these children, regardless of their age, within the household of their parents, he commands them to follow the instructions of their parents, to do everything that their parents tell them to do. And in Colossians chapter 3, when Paul instructs the children, he calls on them to obey their parents in everything, in everything, similar to Paul's uh, exhortation to the wives to submit to their husbands in everything. And just as we saw with the wives, there are implied limits within that obedience, so it is the case with the children. If your mom or dad tells you to sin, you don't obey them in that, but you do obey them when it comes to their proper place of authority over your life as their child. Now, those of you who are still in your parents' household, you may be saying, Josh, you don't understand what kind of parents I have. They are not worthy for me to obey them. My parents are such and such, fill in the blanks. Well, remember what we saw last week. For whose sake are you to obey? Is it for your parents' sake? No, what did we see in chapter 5, verse 21? Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. It is for the Lord's sake that you obey your parents. The question is not, are my parents worthy of my obedience? The question is, is Jesus worthy of my obedience? And yes, of course, he is. He's the one who has placed your parents over you as authorities in your life. To disobey your parents is to disobey Jesus Christ. And because that is the case, if you as a child in the home, regardless of your age, if you are claiming that you believe in Jesus Christ and that you're following Jesus Christ, then you need to obey him by obeying your parents. Verse 1, Paul says, for this is right. That's the right thing to do. Then in verses 2 and 3, Paul quotes the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. That word for honor, it means to show high regard for your parents. You hold them in high regard, and you treat them in accordance with that heart attitude. You're to show them high regard. And again, this, this honoring of your parents has absolutely nothing to do with the quality of your parents. It has everything to do with the quality of the God who placed your parents over you. You honor them in order to honor God. And for you children who are in your parents' home, this honor is to manifest itself in obedience. 
To honor your parents is to obey them in the home. Now, when you leave the home and you start your own family, your responsibilities shift and your parents can no longer expect you to obey everything they say because you are responsible to lead your own families. You can't be having your dad run your life while you're trying to lead your own family. But when you leave the home, you are not exempt from this commandment to honor your father and mother. No matter how old you are, no matter how far you have removed yourself from your family, if you're living on the other side of the country, you are still to honor your parents. Even if you're 60 and they're 85, you are to honor your parents. When they are sick and they need help, you don't just pawn them off to the state to take care of them. You need to step up and provide for your parents. It is a lifelong commitment that we have as children, as the offspring of our parents, to honor them, to honor them. Paul here, he's quoting from Exodus chapter 20. Let's go back there where God delivers the Ten Commandments to his people. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. Here God has descended in a pillar of cloud and fire upon Mount Sinai to meet with his people Israel. And he has descended in order to deliver his law to them. And he utters audibly his law to his people. And the fifth commandment that he gives to them was the first out of all the laws that he would give to his people that had a promise attached to it. Look at verse 12. God says, now picture yourself standing at the foot of this mountain and this pillar of cloud and the booming voice of God Almighty commanding you what to do. He says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now, as you would go through the rest of the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you see that God will give many more commandments to his people. He will give many more promises to his people, but this is the first one that has a promise attached to it. In the context of Exodus 20, this promise that God made his people attached to this commandment, this promise meant that if they were careful to honor their mother and their father, God would not banish them from the promised land. They would live long on the land that God had brought them into. But if they disobeyed that command, they could expect instead for God to cut them off from the promised land. And in fact, God told them repeatedly that that would be the penalty if they failed to obey this command. For example, Exodus chapter 21 and verse 15. It says, He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Now clearly he doesn't have in mind a little two-year-old, you know, slapping his dad. No, this is implied that this, this child has reached the age of accountability and he knows what he's doing. If he does that to his parents, the death penalty would be upon him. Verse 17, he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Then flip over to the book of Leviticus 
chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 9. If there is anyone who curses his father or his mother, he shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood guiltiness is upon him. Next, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy 21, verse 18 says, If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them, then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gateway of his hometown. They shall say to the elders of, this, of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear of it and fear. Deuteronomy 27 Verse 16. Cursed is he who dishonors his father or mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. And then jump over to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17. There we read that the eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. So this is not a slight matter to God, our honoring of our mother and father. And then lastly, go over to Ezekiel chapter 22. In this chapter of Ezekiel, God is listing the various reasons why he cut his people off from the land, why he exiled them, why he removed them from the promised land. Ezekiel 22, if you look at the first two verses, then the word of the Lord came to me, this is Ezekiel talking, the word of the Lord came to me saying, and you son of man, will you judge, will you judge the bloody city, speaking of Jerusalem, then cause her to know all her abominations. And then he's going to give a list of those abominations. And when he reaches the end of that list, in verses 15 and 16, this is what he says, I will scatter you among the nations, and I will disperse you through the lands, and I will consume your uncleanness from you. You will profane yourself in the sight of the nations, and you will know that I am the Lord." In between those verses is this list of Jerusalem's abominations, the reason why God kicked them out of the land that he had given to them. And I want you to look at what is included in this list in verse 7. They have treated father and mother lightly within you. So that's one of the reasons why God removed them from the land. They didn't obey the fifth commandment. If they had obeyed that commandment, they would have lived long in the land, but because they did not, they were removed 
from the land. Back in Ephesians 6, we see Paul taking this fifth commandment and he is applying it to children within the church. What does that tell us? That tells us that this command is not only for Israel. It's a command that we are all accountable to. And that is something we intuitively know in our consciences, that when I disobey my parents, when I say something nasty about them, I know in my conscience that I have offended God. This is a universal law placed upon mankind that we all must give an account for to the Lord. Now, we are not living in the land of Israel. So when Paul utters this command to the church and he utters the promise as if it's still in effect for us as Gentile believers, how are we to understand this passage? How are we to understand this promise? Well, I think it'd be helpful if we would turn back to Matthew's gospel. Turn back to Matthew 5 with me. In Matthew 5, in the first several verses, Jesus lists the qualities that mark true believers, qualities that characterize those who are true citizens of God's coming kingdom. And in these verses, we find that God's coming kingdom is not only a heavenly kingdom. We're not going to spend eternity floating around on clouds playing harps. We learn here that God's kingdom will also be an earthly kingdom. It will be here. It will be here. Look at Matthew 5, verse 3. The first beatitude, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then drop down to verse 5, where Jesus says, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit what? The earth. The earth. So this kingdom that we're going to enjoy as believers in Jesus Christ will be here upon the earth. And then verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We learn from the rest of the scriptures that the day is coming when Jesus will return to this earth and he will establish his kingdom here upon this earth and he will usher in a new heavens and a new earth, which is where we will spend eternity. And Jesus is describing in Matthew 5 through 7 what will characterize these citizens of that coming kingdom. It is only those who are true believers in Jesus Christ who will live long in that land, who will live forever in that land. Only those who have repented of their sins and who have run to Jesus Christ in faith for the forgiveness of their sins, only they are going to live there forever. And how can we tell who are true kingdom citizens and who are not? Well, Jesus said we will know them by their what? By their fruit. When Jesus saves his people, he begins to transform them and he begins to conform them into his likeness. He begins to make them humble and he makes them gentle and he makes them pure in heart. He begins to change them. And it is such people that Jesus Christ is populating his kingdom with. Now, bearing that in mind, let's go back to Ephesians 6. And when Paul reiterates this command and the promise that is attached to this command to honor your father and mother, 
he is telling us that there is another quality that characterizes those who will live with Jesus forever and ever. Those who will live with Jesus forever and ever are those who are characterized by honoring their father and mother. And they will live long on the land. They will live forever with Jesus Christ. Now, apart from Christ, this is very bad news, isn't it? Because this is something that we have all failed in. This is something we have all fallen infinitely short of. None of us has perfectly honored our father and mother as we ought to. Left to ourselves, it's not something we do. Why is that? It's because we're sinners, and we don't want to come underneath someone else's authority. I want to run my own life. I don't want to answer to mom and dad. I only want to answer to myself. As a young man growing up in my parents' home, I needed to understand that when I rebelled against my parents, I was ultimately rebelling against the God who had placed them in my life over me. And because of my rebellion against God, I was headed for hell. And I could not save myself. And I could not change myself. And the same is true for you. If you are a child in rebellion against your parents, the truth is that you need a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. He who is God the Son became a child, and he was born to an earthly mother, and he was adopted by an earthly father. And you know what? Jesus, as a human child, he obeyed and he honored his earthly parents perfectly, even though his earthly parents were sinners just like your parents. He obeyed them and he honored them out of obedience and honor to his heavenly Father. Jesus even honored his parents when he was a two-year-old. He even honored his parents when he was a teenager with hormones raging through his body. He did not disobey. He did not dishonor. He honored his parents. And then Jesus went to the cross where he paid for the sins of those who have disobeyed and dishonored their parents. And he rose from the dead. And if you, a rebellious child, would just believe in him and would just trust in him to save you and to rule you, this Jesus will forgive you of your rebellion and he will give you everlasting life. He will freely give you a place in his everlasting kingdom. And not only will he do that for you, but he will also place his Holy Spirit inside of you and he will begin to change you and he will enable you to obey and honor your parents. He will help you to begin living as a true citizen of his coming kingdom. So those are Paul's instructions to children in the home. If you are a believing child, filled with the Holy Spirit, surrendering to God's will for your life, that will show up in how you honor your parents. The last relationship within the home that we're going to touch on for now is the one we find in verse 4 of Ephesians 6. Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul says here, fathers. Why does he not say fathers and mothers? Well, I don't think Paul 
means to communicate here that mothers are exempt from what he's commanding here in verse 4. Surely mothers are also to take care to not provoke their children to anger. Surely mothers are also required to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But I think we need to understand that though both parents are authorities in their kids' lives, we saw last week that the husband is the authority in his wife's life. Remember chapter 5, verse 23? Paul said, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. So the husband, the father, he is the tip of the spear when it comes to authority within the home. Everything flows downstream from the father's sacrificial and loving exercise of authority in the home. Without the father's leadership and involvement in parenting, the task of disciplining and instructing children becomes significantly harder and less effective. Think of an old-time ship with a captain, and he's got his first mate, and then there's the crew. If the captain of that ship is alive and well, perfectly capable of leading, but instead he spends most of his days sleeping in his quarters or playing cards on the deck or going out on joy rides in the dinghy of the ship. And he, at the same time, while behaving that way, expects his first mate to keep all the sailors in line. What do you think the sailors are going to do? Whose example are they going to follow? The captain's example. How long are those sailors going to follow the orders of the first mate when they see the captain doing all of that? Not too long. Mutiny is inevitable in that situation. And it plays out the exact same way in the home. If the kids see that dad takes no interest in their spiritual well-being and that he will not lift a finger in their discipline and instruction, then despite what mom is saying, they're going to run wild. Because if dad, who is the commanding officer in the home, doesn't care, why should they care? So Paul's instructions here in verse 4 should certainly be observed by both dad and mom, but it is the responsibility of the father to take the lead in this. Otherwise, apart from the grace and mercy of God, it's not going to work out. Now, how are fathers, and by extension, mothers, how are they filled with the Holy Spirit? How are they to live out chapter 5, verse 21? How are they to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ in relation to their children? How does that work? Well, obviously, being subject to their children will not involve giving up their leadership in the home. We know what happens when parents give up their leadership in the home. There's chaos. Turn with me back to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 13 where Solomon speaks of maintaining your leadership in the home, and specifically through, through discipline. And the kind of discipline he's talking about here, it's not abusive discipline, it's not violent discipline, it's not discipline done out of personal anger, 
No, this is discipline intended to shape the child and move the child down the path of righteousness. But it implies the maintaining of leadership within the home. Look at Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24. Solomon says that he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Then turn over to Proverbs 19 and verse 18. Solomon says, Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death. In other words, if you don't discipline him, if you don't maintain leadership in the home, you're basically consigning him to death. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. If you don't take leadership in the home, you are, you are sentencing that child to a lifetime of folly. And then chapter 29. Chapter 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Verse 17, correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. If you want your children to remain fools for life, if you want them to, to dishonor your wife, if you want them to be a great pain to you, then by all means, don't lead them. But of course, that's not what we want for our kids, do we? So how am I as a father? How is my wife as a mother? How are we to obey Ephesians 5.21 with respect to our children? How are we to subject ourselves to them in the fear of Christ for their everlasting good? Well, according to verse 4 of chapter 6, I am to do it by making myself a servant of my children's sanctification. And that will involve me leading. It will involve me wielding my authority over them as an act of service to them for the good of their souls. Now, what does that look like in my relationship with my kids? Well, we find in verse 4 that there is a negative aspect to it, something we are not to do, and there's a positive aspect to it, something that we are to do. Let's first look at the negative aspect, what we are not to do with respect to our children. Paul says in verse 4 regarding our children, he says, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. What does Paul mean here? Does he mean that if I know that I'm going to do something and if I do it, it will provoke my child to anger? Does that mean I must never, ever do anything that will ever involve an angry response from my child? Well, no. There are many things that God requires parents to do that their kids are not going to be happy about. 
We must obey God even when it brings the wrath of our kids. So clearly, Paul has in mind here sinful actions that a parent does that provokes their children to anger. Things that you do that you shouldn't do that provoke your child to anger. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul describes this negative aspect of parenting slightly differently, but really intending the same thing. Colossians 3 verse 21, he says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. According to one Greek lexicon, that word translated exasperate, it means to cause someone to react in a way that suggests acceptance of a challenge. It's when you, you act a certain way to your child and the inevitable result is that they sense you are challenging them and you're inviting them to, to see what they can do about it. It is to arouse them, to provoke them, to irritate them. It is to embitter them. And when you act in such a way towards your children, that can cause them to just give up and lose heart. Now, what kinds of things might a parent wrongly do that would make a child angry or that would exasperate him or her to the point of losing heart? That's important for us to know, isn't it? Well, I want you to think for a moment, parents, about the authorities in your own life. We are all of us under some authority. We never go through this life without being under someone's authority. When are you provoked by those authorities to anger? When are those times, what happens during those times when the authorities over you act in a certain way that just exasperates you and that makes you lose heart? Like, what's the point of me living in a certain way? Well, is it not when you can tell that they are exercising their authority for their own good rather than for the good of the ones they are leading. Like when a church congregation finds out that their pastor has been using the church offerings to buy a Corvette or to go on an expensive vacation. Or when we discover and observe our elected representatives voting to give themselves a pay raise when they have done nothing to earn such a raise. We get upset about things like that, don't we? Well, why do we expect a different reaction in our children when we begin to use our authority over them for our own selfish interests instead of for their eternal well-being in Christ? Why should I expect my son to not get upset when I abuse my authority over him when I get upset when others abuse their authority over me. Isn't it much easier to obey someone and to honor someone when you can tell that they love you, when you can tell that they are sincerely concerned about what is good for you? That's the kind of authority we should seek to be in the lives of our kids. Now, on the, the back of your sermon notes, I included there a list of ways that we as parents can provoke our children to anger or exasperate them. And I'd encourage you to take a look at that list. Even if you don't have kids in the home, if you've got adult kids, you can still provoke them to anger. You can still exasperate them. So I'd encourage everyone to take a look at that list. I thought it was helpful. 
to reveal for myself ways that that I behave that exasperate my sons, that provoke them to anger. And I need to realize that if I don't turn away from those kinds of behavior, I am going to cause my sons to lose heart. So please take a look at that. I don't have time to go into all of those ways that we do that here. But that's what we as parents are not to do. What are we then to do? Well, that brings us to the next part of Ephesians 6, verse 4. We are, Paul says, to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the home. Paul says we are to bring them up. We are to raise them. What does that imply? It implies effort. It implies being intentional. It implies being careful. Our children are not like dandelions, right? Those annoying weeds in the backyard that they grow even when we wish they wouldn't grow. They just grow on their own. Well, we can't take care of our kids that way. No, our kids need to be cultivated. They need to be pruned. They need to be watered. They need to be tended. Is that not what we saw in our call to worship in Psalm 128? Remember, that psalm describes the the man who is blessed by God, the man who fears God. Remember what his wife is described as, a fruitful vine, and his children are described as olive shoots around his table, well on their way to being fruitful olive trees. Implied there is that this husband and this father's fear of the Lord has led him to take such care of his wife that she can be described in that way. And it's led him to take such care of his children that they can be described in such a way. That is how we are to raise up our children. Now, how exactly do we do that? Well, Paul says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction. That word discipline, it means the act of providing guidance for responsible living. And sometimes this discipline is given negatively through physical chastisement. If you turn to, you don't have to turn there, but write it down. Hebrews 12 describes how God, our Father, disciplines us in that way so that we may share in his holiness. It's a a chastising sort of disciplining. Other times this discipline is more positive in the form of training. For example, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. And the last descriptor there is that it's profitable for training in righteousness or discipline, same word, in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We are to discipline our children, train our children. The word instruction means counsel about avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct. It is to warn them that, hey, if you go down this road, it's not going to end well for you. We are to instruct our children in that way. Write down Proverbs 1, 8 through 19. Solomon does that for his son. He says, son, don't go after your friends when they say, hey, come, let's, let's try to abuse this poor person and steal from him. Solomon says, if you do that, you're going to get caught in your own snare. 
Don't follow that, that, that immoral woman on the street corner who keeps inviting you into her home. She will destroy you. Don't do that. That's the kind of instruction that we are to give our children. We are to raise them by training them in the right way to go and by warning them of what will happen if they go the wrong way. Now, there are many areas of life that we can discipline and instruct our children on, aren't there? We can teach them how to change their oil in their cars. We can warn them about what will happen if they don't do that. Around the dinner table, when we see our, our son or daughter chewing with their mouth open and food is just spewing out all over the table, we can instruct them that, hey, you're probably not going to find a man or a woman willing to marry you if you keep acting like that. We can train them or instruct them in that way. But Paul here in Ephesians 6.4 has something infinitely more important that we are to train and instruct our children about. He says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of what? The Lord. The Lord. There's little point in training our children and instructing them on the types of things I just mentioned if we fail to train them and instruct them here. We need to train them and instruct them on how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to help our children understand that there is a God who will hold them responsible for every sin that they have ever committed against him. We need to help our children understand that there is a hell that awaits them if they are not made right with God. We need to teach our children that there is a mighty Savior who died on the cross to save sinners like them and who rose from the dead and that his name is Jesus Christ and that their only hope is found in him. We need to teach our children that Jesus is offering salvation to him and that if they would be saved from their sin, they need to receive him as their Lord and Savior. They need to turn from their sins and run to him in faith to save them. And we need to teach our kids what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ with everything I have, what it looks like to value Christ above all other things. We need to model what it looks like to give up lesser things for the sake of knowing him. We need to model that. Because how will we persuade our children to give their lives to Christ when they see us parents unwilling to do that? And we need to be filled with the Spirit in order to do this for our kids. Otherwise, we will not be able to do that. And we need to remember that we do not have the power to bring our children to faith. We cannot twist their arms into following Jesus Christ. Just like with Abraham's son Isaac or with Isaac's son Jacob, their sons at some point needed to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with a personal faith. They couldn't ride the coattails of their daddy's faith. They needed to be tried and tested and they needed to throw themselves upon the mercy of God. Instead of trying to manipulate or force our kids into believing in Christ, we need to beg God that he would grant them faith in him. Now, all of this seems very basic and fundamental. We kind of wish 
Paul expounded on that a little bit more. Kids, obey and honor your parents. Parents, don't provoke your kids to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Thankfully, the Bible has far more to say about these various things, but we have to get a good handle on these basic things, and we have to make sure we put these basic fundamental things into practice consistently. Otherwise, we will make no progress in being the kind of children that God wants us to be or in being the kind of parents that God wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, we are convicted by your word. We see all the ways that as children and as parents we have fallen short. But we thank you that we have hope in Christ, that there is forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. And not only is there forgiveness found in him, but when we come to him in faith, he places his Holy Spirit inside of us. And when we surrender to his Holy Spirit, when we seek to obey what he has called us to do in his word, you enable us to begin living out these things that you have called us to. And it's a glorious thing when you begin to work that into our lives and you begin to heal our relationships, Lord. Lord, make us those who act like true kingdom citizens of yours, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.